0: this is Bob Heiler of the Bankruptcy Law Success Podcast, where we introduce you to successful bankruptcy lawyers, as well as powerful ideas that can transform your bankruptcy practice. Today, I'm talking with Marcos Oliva, a bankruptcy attorney in McAllen, Texas. He practices in the Rio Grande Valley near the southern border. Uh, Marcos, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Bob. Thank you for having me.
0: How did I how did I do on Rio Grande Valley? Is that is that right? <laughs> perfect, perfect.
1: Just like a native.
0: <laughs> um well I'm calling you from New York City, so you know, I'm not gonna
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure many people in New York have never heard of the Rio Grande Valley, so uh that's okay. <laughs>
0: um so you're right near near the border right next to the border with Mexico, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we we uh, the Rio Grande Valley is is the uh, collection of cities on the southern tip of Texas. Uh, so yeah, we're we're a border town. You know, like the city I live in, McAllen, is uh, you know probably about five miles away from Mexico. So uh, yeah, so we're we're definitely a, a border culture. You know, we have very high uh, Hispanic, uh, you know, Mexican culture down here. Most people are, are bilingual. So, yeah, it's, it's a really an interesting part of the country, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I saw on your website that you mentioned that you actually went to high school in the McAllen area. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So I actually grew up in San Antonio, which I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. And that's about a four-hour drive north of here. My mother's parents grew up down here and, and generations before that. And so, yeah, my my parents, you know, actually, well, my, my father moved down here when I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I went to high school down here and basically spent half my life in San Antonio, half my life down here. So yeah, yeah, I've got got some ties, but but I wasn't here, I wasn't from here originally.
0: No, okay. Well, before we kind of get into bankruptcy, I saw that you you know, this is more stalking of you on your website. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I saw that you attended Texas A&M and you and you majored in biomed. So that kind of made it sound like you're a pre-med student, but you're uh, an attorney now. So yeah. So that was my first question. How did a pre-med student end up in a uh, end in, end up in law school?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's true. Uh, you did really good research. I yeah. So you know, I I always growing up, I always had a a liking towards science and math. Mm-hmm. And you know, when it when it came down to you know picking a, an undergraduate major, uh, I knew I wanted to do something in science. And actually, I went to Texas A&M because my sister was going there, and I was offered a scholarship, and, you know, it's a great school. So uh, so uh I went there, and, and I don't know, I, I can't tell you why I picked biomedical science, but it just stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, But you are right, the, the idea behind that, I, I didn't, you know, I guess I wasn't a very creative person, but I figured I would do something in medicine, and uh, I was re- encouraged by my family to do something like that. And then, you know, I, I would say my Junior, senior year, I, I started to have doubts about that. I think I was getting a little burned out of school and probably science in general and that kind of stuff. And then I, a friend of mine, my senior year, got accepted to law school and went. And and then so that piqued my interest about law school. And actually, initially, I thought I was going to get into patent law, uh, which is you know where law meets science a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, or you know in tech possibly. And and so I. Um, I found I went to school a law school in Chicago, John Marshall Law School. They had a really strong patent program. And just kind of switched gears, applied there, went there, you know, took some patent law classes and copyright and all that stuff. And then after I graduated, I I sat for the patent bar and and took that and passed it. And didn't use it very much. I I worked, uh, I did some contract work for a company where I was like reviewing patent applications, but I just found it mind numbingly boring. So I didn't (laughs) stick around with that too long. Uh And then really just ended up back in in Texas looking for work. And and I do remember studying uh, bankruptcy law a little bit in law school and finding it really interesting. I I thought the, um, you know, the automatic stay was, was, uh, you know really re- really interesting it maybe the way our professor taught it and uh and so yeah you know uh, I I had a chance to work with a local bankruptcy attorney and uh, just started that way i guess i started and-, and didn't stop and you know eventually went solo a few years ago
0: mm-hmm. so what kind of drew you back to texas was it um you
1: know I, nothing in particular I, I really after law school i had a girlfriend and uh i moved I followed her to Boston where she studied uh, grad in graduate school mm-hmm. and then things didn't work out and I ended up back in Texas basically. <laughs> I think I was a bit homesick too. So I just found myself in Texas and I, I actually at the time I hadn't even taken the Texas bar, but I was looking for work and looking for experience which I, I had none. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to find, you know, a, a guy who was, you know, an older gentleman who was doing bankruptcy and he needed the help and uh so I just went in there and you know, just, just started working with him and learning it. And, and yeah, you know, I, I really liked it. I mean, it was, it was a hundred percent what he did. He was a, you know, a debtor's attorney and that's all we did. And, and I, you know, I think, you know, bankruptcy has, uh, you know, some, some basic math elements to it, right? It's a lot of budgeting and numbers. And Mm-hmm. Naturally, I, I like that kind of stuff, and so yeah, I think there's some areas of law that are just kind of gray. You don't really know what what you're getting into, or you can get out of it. But I find bankruptcy really clear cut, and uh, I, I think it just it was suitable to, to the way I, I thought. You know, I, I needed real black and white answers, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I I felt I could get that in bankruptcy. Yeah.
0: I know that the amount of math involved for bankruptcy attorneys really depends on their median income for a particular state. And so if uh, the median income is high in California, maybe you don't have to do as much kind of uh, budget exemption. Yeah. You know, what? what's a median income like in a, in Texas in terms of are you doing a lot of kind of qualifying?
1: Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so – just a little more background about my practice. You know, I've got got three offices throughout the Rio Grande Valley. They're all about 30 minutes apart, right? Mm-hmm. And we cover two counties, Hidalgo County and Cameron County. Gosh, you know, I don't know what the total population are is, but it's probably about 2 million people, I would think. Mm-hmm. And so we, we file about 40 cases a month throughout the three offices. And, but yeah, you know, uh, where we live, it is below, like probably your average family is is below median, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. We're one of the poorer areas of the country. And yeah, we probably about half of our cases uh, are chapter sevens, Mm -hmm. and then another half are 13s. And so yeah, yeah, we, 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 I I, I don't, I haven't practiced anywhere else, so I can't tell you, but I I would imagine we have a a higher percentage of below median filers. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, you, you have three offices. I noticed that that you have three offices, one in McAllen and one in Brownville and one in, is it Harlingen? Is that how you pronounce that? Harlingen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's correct. huh?
0: So is McAllen your your main office?
1: Yeah, McAllen is, is where I live mm-hmm. and that's our main office. It's where we have most of our staff, mm-hmm. actually more than half our staff. We have nine, actually now eight employees in McAllen. Mm-hmm. And then I have about, let's see, three in one office, three in Harlingen and then four in Brownsville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have a couple of remote employees, but yeah, I, I think in the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen is definitely the the largest city and the city where there's you know more businesses and more economic activity. Yeah. So yeah, there there, there definitely tends to be more bankruptcy cases, I would say, in McAllen. And and yeah, and just just so you know, um, we we get the foreclosure notices every month. as probably. Most bankruptcy attorneys do. And there's about 400 foreclosures a month, well, three to 400 a month in Hidalgo County. And uh, yeah, so I, there, there just seems to be a lot more activity in this city.
0: Well, I want to follow up on that foreclosure point, but mm-hmm. I just want to say for the audience and to you that having three offices to draw clients from all three cities is a great idea from a marketing perspective. And, you know, a lot of the bankruptcy attorneys that I talk to they do something similar where they have one main office and then. Maybe they'll rent a room one day a week from another attorney, or maybe they'll get a small office and a satellite office. Is is that kind of how you approach it? Do you have a full office? And
1: yeah, yeah, you know, I I I kind of grew quickly. I, I think it was unusual, and and uh, basically, what happened was uh, about three years ago when I decided to go solo. Well, first of all, there there weren't uh, or there there weren't a lot of bankruptcy attorneys when I started practicing down here about ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I, I would guess maybe about, you know, six or seven debtors counsel. And and then about three years ago, when I when I just decided to go solo, other firms closed down for various reasons. About a year into my my practice, one attorney decided to retire. And so, uh, you know, he came to me and we worked out a deal where I, I took over his existing cases, like his existing chapter 13 cases. Mm hmm. And, and also hired a couple of his staff. And so, uh, you know, that really doubled my practice in one year. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing happened the, the next year. In fact, we ended up taking over three more firms and, uh, and they were all large firms for our area. And so, you know, we ended up doubling in size, uh, you know, in a couple of years. And so, you know, I quickly needed more help. And and actually, the reason I I wasn't looking to open up other offices, which I I agree with you, it's it's definitely a great idea, Mm -hmm. but it sort of, I I had to because of one of the offices we took over had cases and had clients in Harlingen and Brownsville. And so uh, when I ended up taking over those practices, you know, we uh, had to set up shop over there and and then I was able to acquire staff that lived in those locations. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I agree. I think once you've got your system in place, how you do things, you know, Law, I guess, in general, is pretty easy to scale up. You know, it doesn't take a lot to open up another office and put some equipment in there as long as you already have all the software. And I I, may, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but, you know, I'm I'm 40 years old, so I'm a relatively young <laughs> attorney down here, uh, especially as far as bankruptcy goes. And uh, I really love technology, so I, I uh, you know, jump at the chance to use whatever software programs are out there that, that help. So almost everything we have is cloud-based. Okay you know, our email, our calendar system. In fact, I don't know if uh, your other people out there uh, are familiar with, with the bankruptcy software we use, but we use our bankruptcy software from LegalPro. Okay. Uh, I know they're based in Texas, but there's a, a large percentage of us, in uh, and we're in the Southern District of Texas, that use their software. And actually, they have two bankruptcy softwares. Their first one was a a desktop-based software called Bankruptcy Pro. Mm -hmm. And they recently, in fact, this year in the summer, they went live with a a cloud-based version called Jubilee. And uh, so we're we're currently using that. And so we have our cloud-based bankruptcy software. Even our phone system is cloud-based. It's the Vonage, you know, phone system. Mm Mm-hmm. So anyway, having having everything in the cloud, it was it's really easy to to set up another office and another staff member and and get them up and running. So yeah, yeah it, it definitely helps.
0: You know, you you said that you kind of I don't know if you hard acquired or so kind of soft acquired these these other law firms, but um, did you when you did that, did you kind of move the telephone number so that it points over to 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 your? Yeah, that
1: that's a, that's a great point. So. One of my big things, whenever I took over a practice, was to acquire that phone number mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of these uh, existing practices, obviously their their phone numbers were out there already. Uh, they've advertised them; they're on the internet. Mm-hmm. P- people had their business cards, and yeah, I think I think that's a really important element for anyone to, you know taking over another practice. Is, is that phone number is is vital? That's probably where we get a lot of our new clients from, or returning clients from from that firm you know, they call back that number. And so, yeah, we, we, uh, I've acquired them. And, and what I do is we absorb them into our phone system. So all of those numbers, when, when they get called, they get directed to our mainline and our receptionist. That's
2: awesome. So,
1: um yeah, so it's great. It's kind of, kind of funny sometimes because, you know, unfortunately for, for the clients, there's not so many options down here because there's not that many bankruptcy attorneys left. So someone may call us, but then, you know, they, they'll, after they hang up, They'll shop around. They'll call another number, and it'll be us again. and They'll call another number, and it'll be us again. So I've had that where maybe to, to uh, unfortunately for some people, they can't can't get rid of us. Um, so they end up end up with us all the time. But yeah, it, it, I think that was really important. And yeah, I mean we, you know, there there was um yeah we we have some old numbers. One of the firms required they they had acquired the number to firm before them uh, who had existed for a long time and and I'm surprised how often people come looking for that that old firm and uh, maybe some of your listeners might know him but his name is John Ventura and uh, John Ventura was a uh, he had a large bankruptcy practice in, in South Texas, spanning um, uh, Corpus Christi, Brownsville, Harlingen, McAllen, Laredo. It's a very large area. And and so, yeah, so his number and his name is still out there, and people still come looking for him. And, you know, we have his old, old uh, phone number still, and, you know, we occasionally get people looking for him.
0: Wow. Now, do you also kind of acquire or transfer over the websites? How do you handle the websites?
1: No, we, we haven't taken over any websites. I'm trying to think. One, you know, the first firm we took over was a small firm and he actually didn't even have a website. Two other firms we had, their headquarters were based in like one, let me think. Actually, I think they were both San Antonio-based firms, and so they obviously kept their websites, and and so yeah, we we didn't we didn't do that. And I'm trying to think if that. Uh, what what I did do is. With one of the firms, we worked out a deal that if, you know, we basically buy their leads right, from from the Rio Grande Valley. So, mm-hmm. you know, w- whenever they get calls and they send them over to us, if we retain them, you know, we pay for that lead.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: we worked out that. But yeah, we, we didn't end up taking over any websites.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, you know, this is kind of in the weeds, but it's so important that maybe I should highlight it. But when you take over the mm-hmm. phone numbers, do you add those phone numbers to the appropriate Google Plus, to- the profile on google plus for google for my business
1: you know i and right now we're only we're let me think about this we're we have one one phone number Mm -hmm. well one main phone number that we use but we also have particular phone numbers that we advertise with too Mm -hmm. um i'm trying to think how we did it with google plus uh i think and when you say google plus you're also referring to like the google business profile right like when people do a
0: They've changed the name so many times. It, right now, it's called Google for My Business. Okay. But a lot of people think of it as their Google Plus profile. Gotcha. Okay. You have multiple Google Plus profiles, one for each office, and uh, yeah, and good job on doing that, by the way.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you. And uh, I'll, you know, I, I don't do the. Um, Online stuff myself, but I have a, a local guy hired to keep all that stuff up to date, which I think is super important mm-hmm. uh, i think if if I remember correctly I think we we have the same phone number advertised across all three offices on all three Google profiles mm-hmm. but what I did do is the like if I had a like a main number for another office in a particular city, so let's say the uh a firm we took over had a Brownsville main line mm-hmm. i I was sure to assign that phone number. To the receptionist in that office so like if someone were to look for a Browns you know this firm that existed in Brownsville and I and what, what happened was that one of the firms we took over was advertising certain numbers in certain cities like certain main phone numbers in those cities so I'm sure, I made sure that whenever they call that number, it, get, it goes straight to that receptionist in that city. But generally, you know, we we um, we our general advertisement, like on our pamphlets, uh, I'm trying to think what else, uh, you know, is a, this main number. However, we do have uh, I don't know what you call maybe like a list phone numbers, like there are numbers that end up getting directed to our, our main receptionist. Mm-hmm. And and what we'll do is sometimes when we run like Google ads or. Perhaps if we do like a, a particular uh, paper ad, we'll, we'll create a new phone number and, and we'll use it for that particular ad so we can track those leads. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So sometimes
1: we, we change it up. But yeah, but in, in general, it, all the numbers end up going to the same place generally. You know, we have, we you know, that when they ring them, our main phone line, it actually rings or actually there there's a... Um, like a menu system and they can pick which office they want to talk to you. Sure, an IVR. Or if they don't know it, will go to like a, a general, yeah, it'll go to a general line. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the reason I mention this is that if you have a phone number, you know, just to use an analogy, on the, on the web itself, the point of the realm is a link. If a popular site links to you, particularly one that's topically relevant, that's a powerful vo- vote of confidence that Google kind of um, trusts. You know, do you follow what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. So then when it comes to the local stuff, the coin of the realm is is the telephone number is a, is important is an important component. So if there's a lot of references out there and a lot of different, you know, white pages and blog posts and all that stuff to if there's a phone number that goes into your office in Harlingen, well Google needs to know who should get credit for that phone number. So if you add that phone number, that local phone number, the Harlingen phone number to the Harlingen Google for my business profile, you're going to get kind of credit for those popular phone numbers out there.
2: Okay, yeah.
0: So this is going to be particularly important for people who are kind of in a more competitive situation. You know, mm-hmm. if if you're the number one, if you kind of have a monopoly situation in the uh, Rio Grande Valley, then then that's totally, you don't need to. To do that, but mm-hmm. if if you you know want every last uh, inch of advantage, then you might consider adding the local phone numbers to your to your satellite Google Plus profiles. That's that's the only reason I mentioned. Okay.
1: That. That's, yeah, that's no, great to know. I'll, I'll definitely uh, uh, look into that, and and I appreciate that.
0: So you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to follow up on, which is that you get the foreclosure notices for Hidalgo County in your in your in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, the natural follow up question is: It sounds like you're using direct mail to get clients. Um, Correct. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty common practice, at least down here, to do direct mailings to you know people on the foreclosure list. So we, yeah, we we actually um, have have someone that that generates it. It's that information is all available online. So we go online and we generate. A spreadsheet, and then we use that spreadsheet to generate labels. And uh, I actually switched to postcards. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it, it's yeah, it's a very general postcard. So you know, since it's not as private as a closed envelope, you know, it doesn't doesn't say you're facing foreclosure. It just says you know, if you need help with with uh, debt or um, you know, bankruptcy may be a viable option. It can also be used to stop foreclosures and other things like that. So yeah, we 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 have a, a postcard, and really the reason I did the postcard is one, you know, it's a bright attention grabbing postcard, but also too, the postage is cheaper. So, um, you know, we probably mail out about five to six hundred postcards a month. So, you know, the and I forget what the price difference is between a postcard and a stamp, but you know, it's it may be like ten ten cents or so and it really adds up. So yeah, we're so we we just grab that list and, you know, we do those mailings and um you know the return on the mailings is not high. Um, like I said, there's about three to four hundred foreclosures a month in Hidalgo County, and then in Cameron, I think about 200 a month. So yeah, we're looking anywhere from five to 600 a month, and I honestly probably we only get back maybe, you know, I guess like six or seven, um, you know, uh, cases from from those. And uh, I'm not exact I've never quite figured out why it's so low, but, but yeah, but it's still worth it for us for, okay. for the cost of the mailings to, to do that.
0: I just want to, uh, to set you straight here, which is that a 1% response rate on a direct mail package is fantastic.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And so you're, you're kind of thinking, you know, you're doing the old, uh, I can't believe I got a 90, a 90% on this exam when it's the highest, uh, highest grade in the class. Um <laughs> so for yeah. yeah, for direct mail, that's fantastic, particularly if you're mailing a list where ten thousand other people are are doing it, including real estate investors, other bankruptcy attorneys, um all kinds of mm-hmm. people mail the moving companies mail mm-hmm. foreclosure lists, so it's very competitive, mm-hmm. so um mm-hmm. that's fantastic, particularly if if you're you know you're talking about five or six people off five or six retainers off of five five or six hundred. Uh, foreclosure notices or mailings. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a one percent buy rate, not just a one percent response rate, mm-hmm. and that's that's fantastic. Um, so congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank
1: you. That certainly makes me feel better. I Appreciate that. Yeah. I, I guess it was just I, I always wondered why you know more people don't try to file Chapter 13 and save a home and you know I I don't know but uh but yeah I I suppose that 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 is a good um return rate but um I just feel like I'll, maybe if people were Understood how bankruptcy could help them. Maybe more would attempt to to file Chapter 13 to save their house. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah.
0: Well, I think the return here to look at is the return on investment. And you're talking about let's say a $500 or 500 mailings, 500 postcards, even at let's say it's a dollar, a full dollar for the postcard, the everything. You know, mm-hmm. the labor cost of, yeah. of 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 getting the foreclosure notices. That, that's high. But let's say it's $500. That you're spending with the post uh, with the postage and everything you know if you're getting five um if you're getting five retainers even at two thousand dollars that's you're talking about a ten thousand dollar return versus a five hundred dollar investment that's twenty to one that's sensational
1: yeah yeah i, I you're, you're right i mean i i definitely agree it's it's worthwhile and uh and Definitely. I mean, we'll continue to do it. And uh, yeah, you're right. A $500 investment for, you know, even a few uh, retainers is is a great deal.
0: So one thing I've heard about this approach, and yeah, you're right. A lot of people do use it, and it does work particularly to kind of create Chapter 13 filings. But one complaint that I've heard from attorneys is that the kind of people that that are kind of being foreclosed upon those people may not always complete the chapter 13 so you end up spending 20 or 30 hours setting up a chapter 13 and then you know maybe the person doesn't even make a single payment on the payment plan is that something that you've seen as well or uh you
1: know and i I don't know how it is in other in other uh districts but you know here the the judges really require our clients to be on a wage order if they're a w-2 employee so um you know and, and most people here do have w2 jobs so I'm, you know i don't have these numbers so i'm not sure what the percentage of success is on chapter 13 cases but um more than likely if they're a 2 employee you know they're they're going to survive if they have their job so um so yeah i i i think we have i, I don't i can't think of, of many instances where we you know we've had uh, foreclosures and we followed chapter 13s and then, they just didn't make a single payment. I mean, certainly it it happens and you know, that tends to be a problem also with refilers. You know, people have filed mm-hmm. many times and It, you know, and sometimes with foreclosures, because we only, you know, the foreclosure notices only come, at least here in Texas, banks are required to send people notice uh, three weeks before the foreclosure. And oftentimes we're getting our mailings out maybe two weeks before the foreclosure. So, you know, we we often uh, get people coming in here a few days prior for foreclosure. And sometimes, you know, we don't get to do a, a complete petition and schedules. We have to do a short file. And those tend to be problematic. It seems that more often than not people are highly motivated prior to the foreclosure but then once you file the case it's difficult to get them back in to bring all the documents they need to complete the bankruptcy and and then those cases have a high likelihood of of getting uh, dismissed. Um, maybe not even for lack of payment, but for you know lack of documentation, mm-hmm. um, complete schedules. And so, we, what we try to do, I think it's a common practice down here, is uh, you know increase the the retainer. You know, if somebody is going to come in the day before foreclosures and having complete documents, you know, what we'll probably. Uh, like our average retainer is about $800, but we'll, we'll probably double that. If it's, they're just cutting it really close for us, and there's a high likelihood that that case may not succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I was talking to a bankruptcy attorney, a client of mine, uh, last week, and he was he was saying that he's trying to kind of walk that fine line between – because on the one hand, you want to reassure someone that's going through a very tough time that you're able to help them, you know? Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, you can do such a good job of reassuring them that they don't take the next step, and then you end up having to dismiss a filing or something (laughs) like that. So so he said that he's always kind of trying to figure out how to thread the needle. Yeah. Do you have any tips on that front besides the retainer? That's a good one.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I I definitely want to help people, and it's not often that we – Outprice people, you know. We 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 like, you know. It's not. It it usually won't be the case where they're a good person and they're trying hard, and you know, the circumstances for their foreclosure are are beyond their control, and then we just turn them away because you know we want a bigger retainer. Like that, that would never happen. I mean, if someone's going to give it a, a, you know, if someone really. needs help i mean we're going to help them and you know our our retainers flexible i think that high retainer comes into play when yeah it's it's someone who's maybe not realistic maybe someone who's on their fifth bankruptcy and they never made payments in their other cases and Mm -hmm. you know so i think sometimes people you know see bankruptcy as just a way to buy them time not necessarily like a you know, they're not really interested in repaying everything back. They're just looking to buy time because they think they're going to have someone buy their house or they're going to get a loan mod or, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I think as bankruptcy attorneys, we run into that people who aren't realistic. And so I'm not, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years now. So I I don't have a problem with telling people, look, this is what I can do for you. You know, either, you know, we're going to do it right this time. We're going to put you in bankruptcy. You're going to be on a wage order or, look, you know, your your house is too underwater. It's really not worth saving. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I feel like it, it is tough love a lot of times. And, and you know, you've got people who maybe they've invested a lot in their house. You know, they've spent a lot on r- r- fixing it up or they have children and they live in this house. And, you know, the last thing they want to think of is, is moving everyone out and renting something. But, yeah, I think it's our job to cut through all that, um, those emotional distractions and really look at, you know, is this a financially sound decision that they're trying to do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you know, oftentimes bankruptcy, it's going to be more expensive than than what they were paying before. Because, you know, and again, this might be a different practice than other districts, but down here in, in the Southern District of Texas, we're required to do conduit mortgage payments in our Chapter 13 plans. So what that means is if someone's facing foreclosure, and let's say hypothetically their monthly mortgage payment is a thousand dollars a month, we've got to include that thousand dollars a month into their thirteen plan. And then on top of that, you've got to cure the arrears. And then on top of that, you've got about four thousand of attorneys fees, and on top of that, you've got the trustee percentage, which ours right now is at seven point three percent. So is expensive to save your home, like to buy that protection. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, oftentimes I'll tell people, look, you're better off just surrendering the house, maybe following chapter seven and renting something that's going to cost you a lot less and saving that difference for the next five years to get a a down payment on another house. So yeah, I don't think as attorneys, we should feel pressured by, by people's uh, situation. I mean, I think, you know, we know how it works and, and you know, I I love pulling up spreadsheets and doing the math right in front of people, mm-hmm. and I always do that during during a first visit, and I can do it fairly quickly, and I'll show them like this is exactly what it's going to cost you. Is that worth it? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and so yeah, you know, I, I I don't I I won't I won't take a case unless I think, you know, it makes sense and and they have a good likelihood of of success.
0: Awesome. Uh, a nitpicky question: When you when you when you say wage order, I've heard of wage garnishment. Is that similar?
1: Oh, yeah, that's the same thing. I I, I guess we call them wage orders because it doesn't sound as bad as <laughs> garnishment. Uh-huh. But you're right; it's the same thing. Okay. Uh, it's just where it's an order from the court directing the employer to make the bankruptcy
0: payment. Mm-hmm. And is that yeah? I'm sure it's different on a district by district basis. But is that mm-hmm. a deterrent? Is that embarrassing for your clients that you know maybe. Part of the reason that they went into bankruptcy is the embarrassment of the employer being called about a garnishment. Yeah,
1: yeah, you know it, it does come up. I mean, I, I think especially like if someone just started a job, the last thing they want is their employer to be served with a, a federal order for garnishment. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, honestly, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't become a deal very, a big deal very often. I think you know we. I, I really, I just tell people it's it's a requirement if you want to file, if you want to save your house. You know, you're required to do the wage order. And you know, if, if people kind of need reassurances, uh, you know, I, I tell them that you know, bankruptcy is not uncommon. You know, their ch- chances are someone else in, in your in your job has a wage garnishment as well, whether it's for child support or maybe bankruptcy. You know, it's not it's not that uncommon that people file. But um but yeah it it's really it's not an option in our district. Uh the, the judges will require it. I guess it's it's possible to have it waived, but you know, I I've never seen it done. So it's it's a very low likelihood uh a, a judge will do it. And certainly the judges won't let someone waive their garnishment just because they feel embarrassed. Um I, I've seen people try that in court, but you know, the the judges don't don't really um not that they don't care, but it's not persuasive. And, and really, they do it because there's a higher likelihood of success if someone's on a wage order. And I, I definitely think that's true. So, you know, we, we have to increase people's chances of success. Otherwise, they end up throwing away a lot of money anyway, right?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, uh, I told you before we started recording, I mentioned that every lawyer, every bankruptcy attorney I spoke to has one kind of amazing uh, marketing strategy that's really worked for them. And they often don't realize that it's amazing, that this, they have this amazing strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and you said, oh, well, I'm not sure that I have that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the yeah. things that kind of blows my mind as I as I talk to you is this idea of kind of acquiring other bankruptcy attorneys in your area, or at least their phone number and some of their staff. And you, you you're kind of... You're, you're, you're kind of mentioning this in an offhand manner, like everyone does it, but let me assure you that this is not commonly done. Um, how did you even get the idea to do that? Because that's a pretty amazing approach.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, well, it, you know, it's funny that the first time it happened, it was sort of forced upon me mm-hmm. and, and not that, not that I wasn't, um, happy for it, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was an attorney who, uh, like a year into my solo practice, you know, I, I had, um, you know, I, I I was I was barely surviving, and and uh, I, I had whatever money I had, I I would reinvest it in the business by really like hiring help, and so uh, I think about a year in, I managed to hire one full-time paralegal and one part-time remote paralegal so it was just me and two staff mm-hmm. and uh, I, I can't even remember how many cases I was filing but I'm, I'm sure it was you know maybe like five or ten a month it wasn't much and then uh, and then about a year in an attorney who I knew was ready to retire and he was looking for someone to take over his practice and I guess there weren't a lot of options and I, I was kind of the young guy on the block and, and so you know we, we talked and, you know, we, we talked about how it would work. And uh, I don't mind mind sharing. I don't think our agreement was – it wasn't confidential. But mm-hmm. basically we just split up his trustee check. Uh, I, I imagine everyone gets like a
0: – Chapter 13.
1: Uh, a trustee check from all their chapter – yeah, chapter 13. So we just worked out an agreement to split that. And, and really, I you know, I was just looking for enough to pay – the the staff that I had to hire mm-hmm. to acquire his his uh, cases right. So I think I I end up uh, I could only afford one of his paralegals. <laughs> so I hired he had he had two at the time. Mm-hmm. I hired one. I worked out a deal to get enough of his trustee check to pay
2: her. Mm-hmm
1: and just figuring that, you know, I would build up my trustee check over time, gradually. And, and, and my, my hope was that I would build up my trustee check enough that I could afford her once his trustee check ran out, which only lasted about a year, I think. Okay. So yeah, so anyway, but it was really, you know, his desire to find someone to take over his practice so he could retire, and, and that forced it upon me. And so I, he ended up, Coming over to my office with his truck and and moving my stuff <laughs> over to his office and then I just took over his lease took over his uh, you know I ended up getting the bill, the electricity bill in my name mm-hmm. um, and then we did this this uh, motion to substitute into all his existing cases mm-hmm. and so I just ended up with uh, another staff member and a lot more cases and uh, and went from there and then then uh, what happened was. Another large firm ended up closing because their bankruptcy attorney became our our bankruptcy judge. We we only have one full time bankruptcy judge for uh, the entire, uh, well, for our our division, and in our county, and then the, uh, the neighboring county, Cameron County, which is Brownsville and Harlingen. Mm-hmm. So um, he he was appointed the new bankruptcy judge. So they had to close their practice and. I actually, in, in that case, I, you know, I knew they had a large practice, they had a, a lot of cases. And so I went directly to the uh, owner who who I had uh, met before and, uh, and expressed interest in taking over the cases. And mm-hmm. um, I think I just happened to be the first one that approached him yeah. and, you, you know, and then, you know, we worked out a, a similar deal where I, in that case, I took, I think I took two of his paralegals, mm-hmm. which was all I could afford at the time, and uh, and then cut his trusty check
2: to, to pay them. <laughs>
1: And, uh, and then boom, I doubled again. And then it happened two more times since. And, and uh, I, I can't remember, I know one of them I approached and then one of them approached me. And uh, I think I just happened to be the, the guy. And really, I, I grew enough that I w I was able to absorb new cases. And, you know, I think probably when other firms were looking to get out, you know, there, there was nowhere else to turn. So, mm-hmm. you know, they came to me, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I went from just me about 3 years ago to having 16 staff and mm-hmm. you know now there's four attorneys if you include me mm-hmm. and and yeah I, I I you know I know I couldn't have done that without just being in the right place at the right time I
0: think. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not going to let you uh, entirely dismiss this as good fortune <laughs> because I've I've seen other people do this with with other strategies. I call this the uh the golf course on the umbrella strategy which is first the first time it happens you know yes that's good fortune you get hit by lightning but then Mm -hmm. you know if you if it happens again that's because you're on the golf course with a metal umbrella standing under a tree trying to (laughs) trying to get hit by lightning and so it it sounds like that's exactly what happens so good job there
1: yeah yeah well thank you i i you know it's a small bar community down here and Mm -hmm. uh you're right. I think I happened to be in it uh, where people got to know me and knew who I was and, you know, trusted I, I was a reliable person that their clients would be in good hands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, and and their staff, you know, I think we all, um, you know, our staff become family. We work with them so much and mm-hmm. uh, you want them in, in good hands. And, you know, I, I think I always made it a point to... Um, you know, have a firm that was a good place to be, and, and and you know, like hopefully people were better off here than they were before. You know, uh, and, and so yeah, I think all that was important, and maybe all that might have played a, a small part. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, this happened to, uh, to to another bankruptcy attorney. I know something similar happened. When when I say something similar, I just mean like a major a major life event occurred to uh, kind of a competing attorney in the bankruptcy bar. In this case, it was a heart attack, uh, a second heart attack, um, which is which is terrible. But you know, if you are going to consider trying this strategy, you know, you you always have to almost you know put yourself in, in their shoes, which is you know you're at home or in the hospital recovering. What's going to happen to your clients? What's going to happen to your staff? And you have to remember, you know, you're you, you can actually help in that situation. It sounds like you're. You know, you have to kind of look past the, the the fear of looking like an ambulance chaser, and
1: yeah, yeah, no, I I agree, and I, you know, I think that, you know the the you know the pro not the problem, but you know the the issue with with bankruptcy chapter thirteen is that you have clients for five years, so yeah,
2: yeah. you do have
1: to time your your exit strategy correctly and and have a backup, you know, and uh, you never know what's going to happen to any of us, um, but yeah, you know, if if you're I I always saw it as you know, when someone was looking to, um, you know, close down a practice, I mean, in a way, like I was helping them out because, you know, they they had to find someone to, to substitute in to finish off these cases and close them out, and and yeah, so you know, I, I had you know some some firms like I said, they were headquartered in San Antonio, and and they would have had to bring someone down, and you know, there, there weren't really other local bankruptcy attorneys they could have just hired to work for them uh you know pretty much all the attorneys here had their own practices so they had to find someone that 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 would um substitute in and and work out something so Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it worked it helped it definitely helped me grow my practice but it definitely helped them you know get rid of all that responsibility and and find an exit Mm -hmm. so yeah it works both ways
0: well congrats on the win-win
1: well thank you I appreciate that
0: so I don't think I I, I write down questions before every interview I don't think I asked you explicitly do you speak uh Spanish as well
1: so my Spanish is not great okay. uh since you know i I grew up in San antonio and I did not grow up speaking Spanish i did you know I picked up a little here and there uh-huh. and i i always, i i jokingly say I speak at like a third grade level but that's probably true
2: uh-huh.
1: um but luckily um you know our, our like Pretty much all of our paralegals are bilingual. Mm-hmm. You know, most of them having been born and raised down here. So you know, we we definitely and, and it's funny because almost all the attorneys are not. Mm-hmm. I think all the attorneys speak some Spanish, but we're not completely fluent. Mm-hmm. So we we do rely heavily on our staff to to translate. But uh, but yeah. So but it. it to practice down here, you definitely have to be a little bit familiar with Spanish because yeah. you know almost probably I'm trying to think maybe about a quarter of our clients are only Spanish speakers. Oh
2: wow! And
1: uh, so yeah, it it happens often. Often in court, we we you know we we have to bring our own translator, which is our our staff members usually. Mm-hmm. You know, 341s. You know, with the the, uh, the trustees will actually they they call a uh, translation company that appears by speaker and they translate. So yeah. It's something that happens very often down here.
0: Okay. I'd like to understand your sales funnel on a very high level. Like when someone calls, what's the next step after someone calls? Do you bring them to meet your paralegal, fill out a form? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, when people call, you know, we we, we try to set them up with uh, like a first consultation. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, that's what happens. We we prioritize the consultations with the attorneys. You know, I I love doing consultations, uh, and it really I, I, it's better for clients, I think, to have a, a first consultation with an attorney. Mm-hmm. But you know, we're not not sometimes we, we don't have the time, and so they'll meet with the paralegal first uh, sometimes. And so I think you know we we might all do our consultations differently, but the way I do them is you know I I have a, a spreadsheet that I've created that has three tabs. Mm-hmm. And one tab is a list of all the debts. Mm -hmm. And the second tab is the budget, income, and expenses. And then third tab are a list of assets. And so what I do is I can quickly, in that spreadsheet, enter in uh, all their debts and all their information. And I can, you know, I I guess I'm a a visual person. I'm not really good at just listening to someone and figuring out what they need. I I really like seeing the numbers, and I can do the math, and, and I can determine whether, you know, what type of bankruptcy will help them and and what the cost is. So I I love doing that. And then what I do is I also have a checklist, uh, like a a one page checklist of all the documents they need to bring in and the cost of the retainer. And so before they leave with me and, you know, usually I I can do that consultation in 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how complicated it is. Mm -hmm. And I want them to leave knowing, all right, how much how much is this going to cost me mm-hmm. like attorney fee wise, but also you know, how much is my, if I'm going to be a chapter 13, how much is that going to cost me? Mm-hmm. And, and so I leave, so, you know, I want, I want it to be very black and white that, you know, this is, you know, what it's going to cost and, mm-hmm. you know, this is what you need to do. And, and so, yeah, that, that's how I do my consultations. And then when they come back for a, we call it a return visit, and hopefully they come back with that checklist, with the retainer and with all the documents, that's always with the paralegal. Mm-hmm. And the paralegal will, you know, we, we, um, we keep everything in the cloud. So we scan in all their documents. Um, we don't keep any originals. We give it right back to them. And, and then, you know, it, it takes maybe a day or two for us to input everything into our software. And then we'll bring it back a third time uh, to review and to sign. And then we usually file then. So that's how that works.
0: So you don't actually have them fill out a form. You just have them bring in the documents.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of form. You know, we, we, our software company does provide a worksheet and it's like a monstrous, you know, 40, 50 page thing.
2: Hmm. Um,
1: but I don't know. I, I just find that when I give those to people, you know, they're, they're just not really interested in filling it out. And, you know, I, I really, I like talking to them about it and like, you know, picking their brain and, and, you know, trying to get more information out of it. I, I think so. of my staff member do you use that, that worksheet? But, you know, I, I guess I don't like it because I don't like filling out forms either. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'd, I'd rather have a conversation and yeah, you know, and, and, you know, dig in a little deeper into some of those questions. Cause you know, a, a lot of those questions on the worksheet, you know, they may not really understand them mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, what's obvious to us isn't really obvious to them. So, um, you know, we, I don't rely or I don't require our staff to use them and I don't use them um, specifically.
0: That's really good. I actually haven't come across that before. And that's a really good idea. Just requiring documents and then having your paralegals fill in the documents themselves Yeah. or filling, filling out the forms themselves. Yeah. Kind of to prep into the uh, bankruptcy software.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the, I think the, um, you know, our, 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 plan is changing and, and, uh, and even though we, and also we moved to this new software. And so, you know, things change a lot too in, 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 bankruptcy. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm just, I mean, like I said, we, we do have, uh, we just have that checklist, but, uh, you know, we don't have a form that we rely on and, and yeah, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I I just and our you know Jubilee, the cloud-based bankruptcy software, you know, is really detailed. So uh, you know, we we kind of as we when they come back for the return visit and we're filling out Jubilee, I mean, we're really asking all the questions in Jubilee. So um, you know, I think uh, and maybe we just don't have a current form that matches Jubilee, but it, it's so detailed that you know it would I think it would just take them forever. And I feel like it's a little bit redundant too to send them home to like fill out a form and then come in and also answer all those questions to us. So, you know, I'd rather just answer them direct.
0: How long does that return visit take? Uh, I
1: mean, we spend a lot of time before we file a case. uh, You know, I I think it could easily take two hours. Mm -hmm. I think the first visit to take an hour, a return visit could easily take two hours, if not more. Um, But, yeah, we spend a lot of time, you know, filling out that information online with them.
0: And what if someone comes in, this is a common complaint that I've heard, where someone will come yeah. in and they won't have any forms or something like that? Do you just send them home? <laughs> or?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that depends on each staff member how they handle that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we... we um. We won't file the case unless we have all the documents. So, of course, if they come in, I pro- probably will sit down with them and gather whatever information we can mm-hmm. with whatever they've brought us. And you know, obviously, we can pull their credit report. So that that alone can take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, we we pull it we pull it up on the the like our software pulls in the credit report directly into our software program.
2: Oh, really? And so
1: you know, we we yeah yeah Jubilee and and or Legal Pro. I think they work with a couple of credit report vendors. And one of them, I believe is called Sin Legal. And so, uh, yeah, our software program, uh, allows us to pull that credit report directly into it. And what it does is it allows us to view the, the, all the creditors and we can go through them one by one with the client and say, all right, you know, do you recognize this debt? Oh yes. Okay. And then we, we, we can move it into either.
0: That's great.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it is really great. So it takes a lot of
0: time. 'cause uh 'cause it's a big deal when you you have to ask your potential client to go to i forget the url and pull the free credit report, yeah and what is that called? you said Sin legal is that sin yeah c
1: i n legal if I'm not mistaken sin legal huh. and uh and yeah they they're they're they provide credit reports and I think other services too like mm-hmm. uh, i I believe they have like a sister company that offers. The uh, certificates, you know, the credit counseling certificates and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. they might even do like a due diligence report. We we only use them for, uh, you know, to pull the the credit report into our system. Mm. But we also we also have an account with. Actually, we started with Westlaw. I think we're switching to Lexis mm-hmm. to pull uh, due diligence reports. Mm-hmm. You know, those come in, in in handy, especially on Chapter Seven cases. You know, that that will pull pull all of their assets and businesses and real estate and car titles and all that good stuff so um you know we'll we'll do that separately and in fact that takes a lot of time too we'll pull the due due diligence report and then you know we'll print it out and that could be like a 50 60 page document Mm -hmm. and we'll go over it with them and make sure you know because some of it sometimes isn't doesn't really belong to them Mm -hmm. it's just someone with a similar name sure so we'll go and identify you know what things belong to them and make sure all that's included so yeah yeah that all all that takes time but yeah it's very 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 useful stuff
0: wow that's that's great yeah you know one thing that was really cool is that i saw online that that you said i'm going to quote you okay you said (laughs) okay he said, "I understand what it's like to go through difficult financial situations, and I know the emotional strain that too much debt can have on a person's life." So that really resonated with me because my, my own family—I'm—I'm uh, I'm your, I'm your age basically—and my my own family hit a rough patch in the in the late 80s, early 90s. So I mean, I mm-hmm. like we had a lien on the house, and mm-hmm. and we were probably a few patients away from bankruptcy at one point. So I, I personally know how stressful mm-hmm. that can be. And that's one of the reasons that I mm-hmm. like working with bankruptcy attorneys. But it sounds like you kind of had that stress personally in your life. Mm-hmm. Is that something that makes this particularly fulfilling or rewarding?
1: Yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. And, and uh, yeah, you, you pick up on that. My uh, my parents had their own business, actually also in the 80s and 90s, uh, now that you mention it. And you know, they, they, what happened is, they opened up a, a print shop in, in San Antonio and, you know, like a lot of small businesses, they, they struggled just to pay the bills. And, you know, they, they would pay their employees first. And if there was anything left over, they would pay themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and then what happened was they they um, got behind on their 941 taxes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because they, you know, they would pay their, the staff first, you know, before paying uncle Sam and, you know, after, you know after running i forgot how long they had it but you know after running the business for you know maybe five or ten years they ran up a pretty well for us it was a significant irs debt i think looking back i think it was about thirty thousand but mm-hmm. but they um it took them a long time to pay it off like over a decade yeah. and i that always stuck with me like you know here my parents are you know struggling and even as kids we would help them out in the you know in the office and, you know, their their dream, you know, to, to be self-employed, and, to, you know, I know they had friends working for them, and, and to really end up in debt, and, and it really set them back a long time, and mm-hmm. that was really the reason my dad moved down to the Rio Grande Valley, and uh, we ended up living with my, my mom's parents, you know, me and my dad lived with my grandparents, and, you know, yeah, so it, it was a a big change in my life too, you know, getting moved to a totally different town. And, you know, even though it's only four hours from San Antonio, it's a significantly different culture. Uh, I didn't speak any Spanish. And and yeah, so he had to take some job far away from home. And my, our, really our family was split apart. You know, my, my mom stayed up in San Antonio with my sisters, my three sisters. Um, One of them was finishing high school. And then, and yeah, even later, my dad had found a job in Florida and he ended up moving to Florida. And so, you know, we had, we had a split family life for a while and it was really difficult. De- Find the, the money to make ends meet and, and to pay back all this IRS debt and I think back then it was before offers and compromises and all that and, and they didn't know anything about bankruptcy and
2: mm-hmm.
1: maybe looking back they could have filed chapter 13 or something like that but yeah so it, it, it affects me on a personal level when I when I see people struggling and, and yeah so you know even even myself you know I, I, I left law school with a significant student loan debt which I'm still paying off and so uh, I, I, I know how that feels and uh, mm-hmm. personally I, I've been there as well well, like not, you know, th- there was a period after law school, I didn't have a job. And, uh, you know, I was struggling. So I, I I know what it feels like to have enough money, you know, barely to, you know, put gas in your car and, uh, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, make really tough decisions on what little you have. And yeah, so I don't take any of that for granted. And I, I know it's, you know, and I think a lot of people have that Financial stress of living on, you know, paycheck to paycheck and making tough decisions about, you know, whether they can, you know, go out to eat with their children or buy them clothes or buy them school supplies, and, and it's a constant thing. And it, you know, it's 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 really, you know, it's really tough. And uh, yeah, you know, so I'm I'm happy if, if there's anything I can do to help people in that situation, it, it brings me great joy. And you know, I'm glad we, we have this. Uh, you know, uh, legal remedy for people. And, and yeah, oftentimes people come in embarrassed and afraid, and they feel like they're doing something bad by filing for bankruptcy. So a lot of it is counseling people that, you know, they're, it's not bad and it's something they should do mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and whatever they can do to, to, to help themselves and their family is, is the right thing. And, and, uh, you know, oftentimes bankruptcy is it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Have you ever had someone come in, uh, with 941 debt?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do, we, we do. It, it happens a lot, you know. And we also do Chapter 11s, and and uh, oftentimes those end up being small business Chapter 11 cases. So so we we deal with that a lot.
0: I'm just saying those nine those 941 cases must be particularly fulfilling for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, I think a lot of it uh, is, you know, not. You know, I I, I know this because you know we we've gotten. Burned by the judge many times, uh, but you know people maybe don't understand that you know that 940 the 941 uh, taxes aren't their money, right? Mm-hmm. It's really the government's money, and uh, and I think people feel like it's their money and they spend it, and and they always think that they'll earn enough to you know, pay that debt to the IRS back later. But I think it, you know, I think it's really vital that businesses and and individuals uh, with small businesses, you know, set up a uh like a payroll system where that money is deducted from their account every time they run payroll
2: yeah.
1: you know I think that's what happened to my parents, and that's you know we see that a lot people they don't have good systems in place to run their businesses mm-hmm. and and going back to my you know my love for technology, you know there's a lot of great online payroll companies out there that i I use personally. Mm-hmm. In like fact, the one I use, I'll, I'll, I'll plug it, it's it's called Gusto, yeah, Gusto.com.
0: Yeah, I know Gusto. They used to be Zen Payroll, and now...
1: Yeah, and I've, got, and I've been with them for years, and I love them, and so... Uh, and I'm sure there's other great ones out there too, but uh, I think there's no excuse this day and age not to have something like that in place because it's not it's not very expensive mm-hmm. and saves a lot of headache and you know it saves time. You know they fill out all the paperwork, all the you know 941s and 1099s and W2s and all that stuff. And so I I really, you know, I think part of bankruptcy is finding people who have errors in in, in the way they've been handling their finances and correcting those errors Mm -hmm. and and, uh, making sure that's in place, you know, before we can fix the debt problem, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know. So, so yeah, I I see people with those issues and, and, you know, I I definitely want them to fix it and be successful and, and move on.
0: Yeah, I just thought it was really cool because every mm-hmm. that you were talking about the effect of debt on your own personal life because there's so much shame associated with difficult financial situations and uh, I know I felt that my my parents my dad started a company and it was kind of seventh through ninth grade for me, and uh, that company failed and that it was a terrible situation i mean um he guaranteed an yeah. s b a loan and whole thing and mm-hmm. But, you know, the first step, at least, is for people Mm -hmm. to kind of talk about it. Mm -hmm. And um, so I thought that was really cool. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting.
0: Okay, well, awesome. This is a great, great note to end on. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Bob. And and like I said, this was my first podcast. And I (laughs) I really appreciate you calling me up and having me on. I I hope it was useful for some people. And, yeah, I I look forward to to listening to your other podcasts.
0: Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Yeah. Thanks. Okay, bye-bye.